of our brother Eugene, too, in, at future opportunities. Thank you, Eugene. appreciate it. Uh, we're, we're working through the good news of John. Oh, yeah. First, I have to release the kids. Sorry. <laughs> if you're a children, if you're a children, if you're a child aged four through fourth grade, you can be dismissed. We're working through the Gospel of John, and if I seem a little excited because it, I get to talk about the Word of God, uh, which is overwhelming and scary, and rightfully so, but it's also beautiful and exciting, the best ever. Um, and I've been out of the pulpit a couple of weeks, so good to be back. Let's pray. Father, uh, Communion Sundays are wonderful, and we've accomplished lots of things. We had great worship and scripture and prayer and Holy Communion. We thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you'll do uh, great works of grace in our hearts as we uh, worship you and use what we have already experienced together deeply, impact us deeply. And Lord, as we spend the remainder of our time together looking specifically at your word, oh Father, please, in your grace, Teach us, open our hearts and our minds to what you are saying to each of us individually. Uh, we've all come from different places, and some of us are here for the probably the only time we'll ever be in this building, or perhaps the last time we'll be here, uh, or perhaps the first time to be here, and we'll be here for many, many years. It's, it's uh, exciting to see your sovereign providence as you bring us together, perfectly planned, for this morning. And Lord, only you, only you can meet the needs of the moment. So Father, I commit this time to you. I pray, Lord, that you will be the teacher. Amen. So we enter into John chapter 3, John chapter 3, which is arguably perhaps the most exciting and best chapter in the Bible. That's a big thing to say, but it has some of the most, the most famous verses of all time. Uh, it used to be whenever you looked at an end zone in, in football, somebody would have a sign up that said John 3.16. John 3.16. That's the verse that uh, most Christians are most familiar with, and that's in our passage. I'm not going to be getting to John 3.16 today, uh, but we'll be getting to it over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to look at the first part of John 3. But as I have a great deal of respect for, for the whole flow of thought, and I know it, sometimes it tries your patience, but I invite you to listen carefully. I'm going to read the entire chapter, and then we'll start from there. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher Come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I read that wrong, forgive me. Let me read it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. By the way, that you is plural. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's what we just celebrated in communion. The Son of Man descended, became a human being for us. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. We're going to st we'll stop there for today. So let's first talk about the very beginning here. Uh, Nicodemus. Let's see, I'm trying to figure out. I, okay, okay. Oh, let me try that. Sorry, let me, I'm getting my, there we go. I don't want to have an there. <laughs> we're, we're still getting used to this new stuff here. Um, Nicodemus. Uh, who was this guy? Well, the, the text tells us that he was really, really a special guy. He was the top level of religion, is what he was. It says he was a Pharisee. And it says he was, uh, notice, a ruler of the Jews. Look at the text with me in John 3, 
Now there was a man of the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees were a particular group of Jewish people who were at the top of the top, and they were, they were like super Jews. They were the holy, holy people. Today they might be what we call Hasidic Jews, uh, the guys that wear all the black and the tassels and the hats, and they do really what we consider really extreme things, right? Very extremely, extremely kosher. They keep the Sabbath rules to the ultimate extent, to the point where, you know, for example, on the Sabbath you can't work, so you can't push an elevator button. You have to hire Gentile kids uh, to push the buttons for you. That happens in New York City. Um, that's what a Pharisee is today, the Hasidic Jews. The, the highest level, really rigorous, very pure. And so he's the top of religion, and he's a Pharisee, and he's a ruler. He's the top of the Pharisees, right? Uh, he says he's a ruler of the Jews. Uh, the Jews, as you may know, were under uh, oppression by Rome at this time in their history. And yet the Romans allowed them to have a degree of self-rule. They had their own government. And, you know, if you were running for county supervisor uh, back then, you would have to be a high-level religious person. You'd have to, because there was a connection, what we would call church and state. Uh, they connected church and state completely. Uh, the Jewish political leaders were the Jewish religious leaders. They had their top-level pastors. They didn't use those words. I'm sort of mixing metaphors here, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Their top-level religious leaders, uh, they were the political leaders of that day. So ruler, he was on the Sanhedrin, a really top-level guy. And, and he, he's, he comes to Jesus... And he's, he's engaged, too. He's noticed Jesus, and he's a nice guy. He's really a really nice guy, isn't he? He comes to Jesus and says, this man came to Jesus by night. Yes, I think it's appropriate to say Nick at night. <laughs> That's a cable television thing, a reference to Nickelodeon. <laughs> Uh, which I actually never watch. But anyway. <laughs> anyway, Nick at night, he comes to Jesus at night, and we, it doesn't unwrap that for us, exactly what's going on there. I mean, he's probably uh, sensitive. He doesn't really probably want to be seen with Jesus. Um, we don't know exactly. Is he, is he really sneaky? Or perhaps he's just a very, very busy guy. You know, he, he's a very complicated character. He comes to Jesus by night, and look at the first word out of his mouth. Rabbi. This is a Pharisee who's a ruler of the Jews, leader of the pack, top dog, coming to this carpenter's son, who was a carpenter himself. Jesus never went to any of their schools. He's never been ordained or licensed. There's no synagogue that says, you are our rabbi. Uh, so for him to come, for, for Nicodemus to come to Jesus and say, Rabbi, is a huge compliment. It, it'd be like uh, 
<laughs> How do you do that? Be like uh, you know some really high-level Navy guy coming in here and saying to one of our Navy guys, you know, oh commander or or admiral, you know, uh, I give you amazing respect. You are a rabbi, and not only that, rabbi. We know. We know that we, plural, rulers of the Jews, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Wow. We call that rarefied air, high elevation. Beautiful. Man, these are great words. Oh, yes. Thank you. It feels so good. You say, you know this. Wow. Why? He says, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You know, again, where's my ego here by now? You know, this super top-level, high-power guy comes in and says, Rabbi, you're definitely from God. (laughs) My head gets bigger. Is that the effect it had on Jesus? (laughs) Nicodemus is really nice, right? Jesus, though, however... Is kind. I want to make a distinction between being nice and being kind. There's a lot of overlap between these two words. But some people think the whole point of a religious organization like First Baptist Church of Monterey is to, like, to twist all of our arms so we can be nice. Just be nice, okay? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you do, just be nice. Um, and Jesus is not that way. In fact, in this passage, he's not nice at all. He's kind to Nicodemus. Why? Because he tells him the truth. He doesn't hide the truth from him. Uh, There's this thing in the Bible, I call it power kindness. God is powerfully kind. It's a, a kindness that's intervening. It's a kindness that is real love, not fake, phony, hypocritical niceness. Jesus is really not nice. I want to show you what I mean by this. First of all, he gets to the point. He cuts to the point, doesn't he? I mean, honestly, there's no small talk here. (laughs) We know that you are a teacher from God. Oh, Rabbi, the signs you do, you wouldn't do them unless you are from God. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. (laughs) How did that fit into the flow of the conversation? How is that? Well, it's nice to meet you too, Nicodemus. I've heard good things about you. Everybody seems to like you as well. No, Jesus is basically rude. I don't know if maybe that's overstating the case, but I don't think it is. He's impolite. He's not into the politics, is he? Like, oh, you are a great man. Thank you for coming to see me in your busy schedule. Thank you for bringing me these kind words, these nice words to me. No, Jesus cuts right to the quick. And by the way, you've heard me say this before, and you'll, you'll probably get tired of me saying it, but John is the only author who records Jesus saying this truly, truly. In the King James, it was verily, verily. If you remember the King James. Um, truly, truly. In, in the grammar of what he actually said, it's the word amen, He says, amen, amen, I say to you. He's saying, absolute certainty, absolute certainty. (laughs) It's extreme emphasis. I can't get extreme enough. 
This is the Word of God, the everlasting Word of God proclaiming non-negotiable truth to this religious puffhead, <laughs> Nicodemus. It's like, you're, you're, you're absolutely nothing, sir, to me. Because all that really matters is whether or not one is born again. You can't even see the kingdom of God. You can't even see it unless something radical, huge, and different happens to you. We're going to open that up a little bit. He says you must be born again. You must be born again. No one sees. Later, he repeats it. Let me just read it a little bit here. Again, truly, truly, amen, amen. This is so cool. I really got into this last time I preached here because Jesus is so emphatic. No one can be this emphatic unless he's God. Yeah. How, how do you know that for sure? How do, we know, how do you and I know anything for sure? You know, only through the word of God, the promise of God, do I know anything absolutely certainty, certainly, uh, and so, but Jesus is the truth. He is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. So when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, it's huge. It's huge. And see, uh, truthfully, only a radical, crazy fool would say, I don't believe that. Honestly, you're being, you're being massively foolish if you say, well, that's his opinion. It's not my opinion. You're saying that to your creator. You're saying, okay, that's your opinion, creator. <laughs> what did you ever do for me? He sustains you by his conscious thought. Um, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, it's a good question. I don't know if he's kidding or if he's just dumbfounded I, I don't know i think there's a little bit of humor in that but i don't think he's highly cynical when he responds to jesus i think he's just sort of like uh uh born again <laughs> how can a man be born when he's old can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and his mother's going no please no <laughs> ah, no <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. Uh, you're not going to enter a second time in your mother's womb and be born. Although, like I said, it's a legitimate question. That, and then Jesus answered by essentially repeating himself and opening it up just a little bit more. Jesus answered, truly, truly. Again, John the author is the only one who says that. Um, and he says it several times. Jesus said it. The other authors just didn't, didn't record it. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So at first, if you're not born again, you won't even see the kingdom. And he says, you won't even enter the kingdom. You, you will miss out on God's kingdom if you're not born again. So... And he really, I think he, there's a conundrum here in verse 5. What is he talking about? Unless one is born of water and the Spirit. What is he talking about there? I think it's explained in verse 6. I think it's, honestly, I don't think it's that hard. 
he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. I think he's making two things here. Uh, you, you have to be born of water and of the spirit. And perhaps he's saying water is just sort of the natural flesh reality that we're all born. Um, and that which is born of flesh is flesh. We're all naturally born flesh, and that's actually a charged word in the Bible because there's, there's flesh and then there's flesh. Um, in other words, there's fallen, sinful flesh, and all of us are born as, as sinners in rebellion against God. We're all, we're all subject to the wrath of God as we are naturally born, and we're also born in a human body, which is flesh. So, like I said, there's a lot going on there. But that which is born of flesh is flesh. You can't see the kingdom. You can't enter the kingdom unless there's more to you than just flesh. You have to have another dimension. You have to have a new birth, a rebirth. You have to be born again. That which is born of spirit is spirit. So let's look at this a little bit. Martin Luther put it this way. He he says, the Lord says, and this is the actual English translation of Martin Luther's quote, Jesus says, my doctrine is not doing and leaving undone. See, now that would be Nicodemus. For him, religion was keeping a bunch of rules, do's and don'ts. You, you do some things and you don't do other things. He says, so Jesus says, my doctrine is not doing and leaving undone, but of being and becoming so that it is not a new work to be done. See, Jesus didn't come and say, okay, I've got a new code of conduct for for you to live by. Sometimes I like to make this distinction between the the body and the blood at communion. Jesus didn't come just as a teacher in the body to teach us a new way. He came as the sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sins. So his blood pays the penalty penalty for our sins. He came to bring us new life, not just a new code of conduct. Again, back to the Luther. This is Martin Luther, the great reformer. This is his quote. So that it is not a new work to be done, but the being new created, not the living otherwise, but the being new born. This is what Jesus is talking about. You've got to be completely reborn. And I love what, uh, we're going to look at a couple other passages on this too, but I want to point out this last point, be humble. I love what uh, Jesus says, and we're going to come back to this passage. I'm not teaching everything in it uh, today. But Nicodemus is still confused, right? Verse 9, what, what? still don't get it. It seems like you're speaking in some sort of strange riddles. How can these things be? And Jesus castigates him. He says, are you a teacher in Israel and yet you do not understand these things? The new birth is actually taught in the Old Testament. It says that you have to have a new heart. You you have to cut off the old and become new before God. And you should know this. And here's another truly, truly, verse 11, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know. Again, if you go away from John chapter 3 and say, well, that's interesting, that's sort of their opinion, Uh, you're rejecting the word of God. This is it. There's one God, there's one Lord, there's one church. 
and you're rejecting the very Word of God. That's what verse 11 is. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not believe our testimony, he says to Nicodemus. He says, if we have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. There's a reference to his crucifixion. He'll be lifted up on the cross just like Moses lifted up the serpent. We're going to look at that next week. It's too wonderful to talk about this week. And that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. But I like what he says here in verse 7 and 8. Do not marvel uh, that I said to you, you must be born again. Don't don't be so overwhelmed by it. Don't act like you're you're so confused about this. You must be born again. Verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, what, what does that answer mean? I think it means this. Be humble. You know, the arrogant individual says, no, I've figured out life. I've got this all figured out, and this stuff is ridiculous. It's a myth. It's stupid. It's a crutch for weak people. I don't need it because <laughs> I've got life figured out. I just know stuff. I'm really smart. I'm successful. Um, and uh, I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't need that. There's an American, probably Californian bumper sticker. I think it says something like, born, born okay the first time. Or, you know, born, born right the first time. I don't need to be born again. I'm born okay the first time. And, and that's what uh, Nicodemus is kind of holding on to here. And Jesus says, well, wait a minute. You, you don't even understand the wind. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from. May I say, dear human being, would you please be humble about how much you don't know? (laughs) The wonderful thing about uh, living in the 21st century is we have a a boatload, (laughs) an aircraft carrier load of data more than they had, right? But I submit to you that we do not understand anything more than they did. <laughs> Let me tell you. I got into this a little bit during uh, Easter, the Resurrection Sunday. Remember, I, I, you try to do a little research and try to just find out a simple question. How many cells are in the human body? They don't know for sure. It's actually a big debate. You have a guess for me? Over 100 trillion cells in the human body. That's probably a great proposition. I did, <laughs> I did some research, and I came up with uh, 37 trillion, and you're probably right. But here, honestly, listen to me. The best scientists in this world cannot tell you with any degree of certainty how many cells are in the human body. Let's humble ourselves. We, can't, we don't even know how many stars there are. We can't figure out what makes an atom work. We can't get physics to work on the big scale and the the micro and the macro. String theory. There it is. (laughs) I mean, we can describe some of this stuff, like the theory of relativity, E equals mc squared. 
That makes sense. Just square the mass and times the time the energy. <laughs> that explains a lot, Einstein. There you go. I, honest, honestly, honestly, uh, Charlotte and I, <laughs> just be humble. We just know less than we think we know about the physical world. Now, we're trying to understand God, the spiritual realm, and God created this whole thing by his voice. And I believe very firmly he created it in six days. You might say, well, that's, that's ridiculous, Pastor. Well, I want to tell you, I, the Bible reveals a very big God. Huge. He's bigger than any mountain you can ever see. We drove past the Tetons a couple of days ago in southern Wyoming, Jackson Hole. That's an awesome place. But they're nothing. They're nothing. They're nothing compared to God. And, and so Jesus says to Nicodemus, you don't even understand the wind. <laughs> you think you're going to understand this? He says, basically, take my word for it. <laughs> take my word for this, Nicodemus. You need a radical change. Now, I want to spend just a, a couple of minutes on this uh, because it's super important. I, and then we'll close, I promise. I'll send you home in just a couple of minutes. Look at uh, some passages that bring a little bit more light on what it means to be born again. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I guess my mind's not quite back from the Tetons. I meant to say 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 uh, verse 3. This is just, I'm going to go over some other passages that talk about what it means to be born again. And then we'll close it out. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So new birth is caused by a work of God. It's a miracle. He brings, just like, just the, like the miracle of a sperm and an egg coming together and creating a, a new life, a new human life. He causes us to be born again. It's a work of God. Look at verse uh, 23. Again, just quick mentions here. Since you have been born again, not of perishable speed. And speed. <laughs> Sorry. Seed, for heaven's sakes. The Greek word is sperma. <laughs> The sperm. We haven't been born spiritually by a physical sperm. We've been born by the sperm, which is the living and abiding Word of God. The Word of God comes into our heart and mind and life, our soul and our spirit, and it brings new birth. It creates new life. That sounds a little weird, but that's the way it happens. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass. See, the flesh alone, the water alone is not going to do it. You have to be born of the Spirit. And all its glory, like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's look at one more passage, too. Um, I'll go with Titus 
Ephesians 2 is amazing, but also I think I'll just cut that one and go to Titus chapter 3. Titus is right at the end of Paul's letters. They put the T's in alphabetical order, which is kind of nice. Thessalonians, Timothy, and Titus. I want to read uh, Titus chapter 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. That's a simple idea there, but He saves us. You're saved by a work of God. Jonah said, while he was in the fish, he said, salvation belongs to the Lord. I have, I have no hope here. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He saved us. Again, not because of works done by us in righteousness. It's not, I'm not giving you a new code of conduct here. You need to be born by the Holy Spirit. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs. See, when you're born into this kingdom, you see the kingdom, you enter the kingdom by new birth, then you become an heir. I'm born into an inheritance, which is fantastic and beyond what any of us could ever imagine. Let's see, where am I here? Wash and regeneration. Okay, there it is, verse 7. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now look at verse 8. This is a command to pastors, a pastor like Titus. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. We need to preach the gospel so clearly and strongly that we realize what God has done to save us. This great new birth, He's rebirthed us so that we would live for Him, to live in newness of life. We become the creations, His workmanship in Christ Jesus. And, and that brings me finally to this. What is our part? To respond in faith. To respond in faith. How does the new birth relate to what I believe, what I do? Well, remember in John 1, verses 12 and 13, it is explained. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you're, you're born by God, and the first sign of it is you believe. You receive Jesus. You want Him. When He sovereignly gives you birth 
by the sperm of the Word of God, you believe, you receive, you joy in who Jesus is. You don't reject Him. You want Him more than anything else. You, what is our, our response? It is to respond in faith. Uh, here's another evidence of it. This is 1 Peter 2. 2. I read it a, several weeks ago. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. You know, when we're born again, we long to know God. We long to know His Word. It's an insatiable desire. We will be there. We will go to church. We will go to the Bible study. We will read it on our own. We, will, we can't get enough of it. It, it. it shows that we're born again when we believe and when we long for the pure, sincere milk of the Word. And finally, I think gratitude is a, a response of faith. We're, we'll be people that are motivated by gratitude. Titus 3 said teach these things so that they'll devote themselves to good works. When we realize that God took the time, took the huge effort to rebirth us so that we can see and enter the kingdom of God, we will enter. We will serve. We will want to be under His dominion. Again, you know, our church, is we're sort of happy, close bystanders of this Bo Bergdahl release. If you didn't, if you weren't aware of that, uh, we have a member of our, members of our church, Michael and Sky Albrecht, and Sky's brother is Bo Bergdahl, who's been in prison in Afghanistan uh, and Pakistan for about five years. He was the only POW uh, that the U.S. had for a long period of time. There's been huge negotiations. Anyway, it was announced yesterday that he's been released. And I heard he was on a plane to Germany. He's probably in a hospital in Germany. And, and they, they said when the special forces came and found him, and they, they, they fully identified themselves as U.S. special forces, he broke down and cried. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that moment? You just weep for joy because you never thought that would come. You never thought that would come, and it came. Can you, I can't even imagine the release of Bo Bergdahl. Imagine how he feels this morning. He's released at great effort, at great cost. Well, being born again is a bigger and better release. It's eternal release. And the more we understand it, the more motivated we will be to live for God. And I believe that in heaven we will begin to appreciate our great deliverance and our great freedom. We will worship God with tears of joy in our eyes. Let us pray. Oh, Father, thank you that Jesus wasn't nice. Just make nice and not make waves. Thank you that he was really ultimately kind to us and to Nicodemus as he told him the truth that all of his religious accomplishment meant nothing when it comes to actually seeing the kingdom and entering the kingdom of God. It's because he was spiritually dead and all of our good doing and goody-two-shoes and do-goodisms will not 
bring us spiritual life. That has to be a work from you. You have to save us. You have to rebirth us, O Father. And although the, the Scripture never gives us a model to pray, O Lord, please rebirth me, uh, the Scripture does, Father, gives us this prayer over and over and over again. O Lord, save me. O Lord, hear my prayer. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, I pray that that word will echo into every heart here in this room. And if there are a few here that don't know you, Lord, please, in your grace, rebirth them, O oh Lord. Help them to call out to you in, in faith. Receive Jesus, O oh Lord, I pray, based on your word and your promise. You do all the work, Lord. You make it possible for us to respond to you at all. We praise you and worship you. Amen.